Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Led by the Word. Uh, new guests. My name is Mitchell. I'm Liz. Chloe. And I'm Faith. And the reason why you're seeing us today is because we have a new member of the Wynn family. Baby Clark has officially been born, and Mike and Jesse are on maternity leave. So you have us to thank for your Led by the Word podcast. <laughs> Here we have the Oasis Ministry Bible Course. We have about 700 people taking it now. Uh, if you would like to have a guide to go by for your Bible studies, we have this right here. We send it completely free. You send it back to us. We grade it. And that's it. <laughs> kind of goes hand in hand with these podcasts we're doing, too, led by the word. So follow along. Uh, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 11, starting with Chloe over here. Okay, so in chapter 11, it starts out with Queen Athalia, who is the mother of Ahaziah. Ahaz Sounds right. Okay, close enough. <laughs> so he's dead. He's gone. <laughs> he's, dead. he's gone. He's dead. Just, just go ahead and say that. So she decides, because this woman has an insane craving for power and control, so she's like... Oh yeah, this is my time to shine. I'm gonna I'm gonna be queen over everything. And then she's like, No way, I have all these heirs, I have this grandchild, I have a sister, and she's like, you know what? I'm gonna kill them all. You know, like I'm just gonna kill them. So <laughs> So his sister Jehoshaphat managed to keep um the king's son Joash hidden for what was it, like seven years? Mm-hmm. Like, so was this like a Moses situation? Was he a baby? Like minus the river and See, stuff. See, that's a good question. Like, was he? He was a. Yeah, because he became he king was. when yeah, he was seven, yeah, yeah. so right. he was a baby. He was very young. All right. So Second Kings, chapter eleven, verse four says, "In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent for the commanders of hundreds with the captains and the guards and brought them into the Lord's temple." Now Jehoiada was. Is, I think it's Jehoiada. I don't know. Whoever he is, he is the priest that helped protect this boy while his grandma was ruling and, you know, not doing right in the sight of the Lord. So if you move a, a few verses down, it tells us how Jehoiada gave Joash all this protection. And it talks about in verse 12 how he eventually brought him out and, like, showed the people that, you know, he is alive. And everybody's like, what? We didn't know because he was in hiding, obviously. So they brought him out, they placed a crown on his head, and they're like, oh, long live the king. So then um, Grams heard this and was infuriated. <laughs> and so she was so angry that she tore her clothes and, you know, yelled treason. But so Jehoiada saw this and was like, hey, guards, kill her, get her out of here. And so she was arrested and was put to death. And after all this, Jehoiada made a covenant between God, the king, and the people that they would be the lords. So then they went out and they tore down Baal and destroyed it. So my thoughts on this was Queen Athalia had a craving for power and control. And so obviously when she saw that her son was dead, she was like, oh, this is my chance. I'm going to do this. And so like, I think it's really sad though that she was so selfish that she was like, I'm willing to kill my family just so I can feel better and put myself higher than everybody else. And, um, <laughs> So, uh, it reminded me, like, when you're in school and there's, like, bullies and stuff, and nine times out of ten, the reason why they treat you so badly is because they want to feel better about themselves or, like... Yeah. 
And, like, also, with all this, it kind of reminds me of those, like, breaking generational curses things where it's, like, you know, because her mother was Jezebel. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> her mother was Jezebel. And then we have Athalia, and she was, you know, a bad influence on her husband and her son. Yeah. And then we have Joash, who <laughs> we have this six-year-old kid that reigned for 40 years and did right in the sight of God, which I think is pretty cool. Well, you know, he was so young, and they hid him in the temple of all places. So he had had God in his life the entire time, right? So it was not exactly easy, but it was easier to influence the king in a godly way when he was so young, and the priest was basically his father. It's like the, you know, raise up a child in life. Yeah. That's the way the priest was. Does that say something about they hid him in the temple and nobody would go there to find him? Like, that's the, that's the stuff in the temple was just so empty. Like, I was thinking about that earlier, too, and I was like, hold on. How often did the queen, you know, his grandma, go to the temple? Oh, yeah. Like, because it would have been suspicious because he had sent, what was it, a whole bunch of guards in the seventh mm -hmm. year. Why did she not find it suspicious that all these guards were going to the temple and protecting this whatever it was? She was just a very oblivious woman, apparently. Exactly. She's like, I'm only concerned with myself, and that's it. Nothing about God at like, all. She's, just, she's a very cruel and selfish woman, which her mother's Jezebel, so, you know, runs that makes the family. I there was also something interesting, too. She was the only woman, Athalia, as far as I have read in the Bible. Now, I could have missed it somewhere. But she was the only woman I had ever seen or read of that had rent her clothes. I thought that was an interesting note. I just, I didn't know if there was anything behind that. I just thought it was interesting it would mention that. It's like with toddlers when they throw temper tantrums and they're like, Exactly. I don't want to toy. So chapter 12 kind of starts out with uh, Jehoash. Starts his reign at seven years old. Very young. Yeah. Luckily, pretty much like a father figure to him, I would guess. Je Jehoiada, the priest. Yeah. He just instructs him and he kind of does all that yeah. he can to be right in the eyes of God. And one of the biggest things that Joash does is repair the temple. I guess that was the temple he was kind of raised in and hidden away from the rest of the world in. So I guess he kind of had more reverence and respect than a lot of people would have. Uh, in Second Kings twelve four through 5 it says, And Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of every one that passeth the account, the money that every man is set at, and all the money that cometh into any man's heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it, and every man of his acquaintance, and let them repair the breaches of the house, wheresoever any breach shall be found. So he is making it his mission to repair the temple. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure how old he was, but he's still pretty young, safe to say. And he's using this money very wisely. You know, that sounds like something like... Yeah, it's saving my money last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is time. <laughs> Maybe like adolescent kid, he's like, okay, we need to get as much money as we can to repair this house. Like, <laughs> that just sounds like something a grown adult would do. <clears throat> and, uh... Fast forward, he's 23 years old, and they still haven't done repairs. Yeah. Still just broken. And he kind of confronts Jehoiada, the priest, about this, and asks him what happened to the plans to repair everything. And 
they they go and get more money. They set this chest up. People bring more money to it. Yeah, they repair the temple. What's interesting about that, it says in chapter... This isn't even in my notes. I just thought about it. Chapter 12, verse 14. <laughs> it says, But they gave that to the workmen, the money, and repaired therewith the house of the Lord. Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. And that's interesting to me, because they didn't even talk about, or what I gather from that, they didn't really talk about costs, what's going to happen, what's, what's this, what's that. They didn't really make the plans. They're like, I'm giving this to you. You have the plans. You need to fix this. Yeah. And we know we'll, that you'll do it, because you're a faithful Must have been some workman. trusting people. Yeah. It would have had to have been really trusting because they had they had masons, they had carpenters, they had metal workers. You got to think they probably didn't have a whole lot of money either because this was all the money they could get. And then it even says on down that uh, in this temple they didn't have any of the silver bowls and none of this more you know precious items mm -hmm. for the temple. Yeah. So they didn't have the funds for that. It was um, if you go down a little further in chapter 12 verse 20 it goes into uh let's see it says and his servants this is concerning the death of joash the king and it says and his servants arose and made a conspiracy and slew joash in the house of milo or milo which goeth down to Scylla. and that brought to my mind of watch the people who are around you Watch the people that you let into your life, the people that you trust. Because just, you know, a few verses up, they had servants and workmen that they trusted. But just a few verses down, Joash the king has his own servants rise up against him to make a conspiracy to kill him. So you have to watch the people and you have to not judge them in a way of, you know, you're going to go to hell if you do this, but judge them in the way of their faithfulness and, um, and how they will treat you and act toward you, you know, and make sure that you're around the right people. And that goes for friends, family, you know, make sure that you're around people that will put a positive, godly influence in your life and not try to destroy you. Does it really give us a reason on why they conspired to kill Joe Ash? No. They're the only, probably just bored. Well, the only thing I can see is that, um... Uh, Right before they kill him, he took pretty much all that they had that was valuable and all the gold they found in the house of the Lord that was left over. And they sent it to uh, Hazael, king of Syria, and he went away from Jerusalem. So I'm wondering if they were kind of mad at him that he took a lot of their precious items. That would make sense. And used it that way and took a, or he didn't, he used their money to mm -hmm. help repair the temple. And I feel like maybe they weren't too happy about that. So Joash is dead. He, he, he's gone now. I don't, like, I don't, really, yeah. I don't really remember where, wasn't it in 12 where it said that he died? Yeah. Dead in Dallas. Way to Milo. Yeah, so Joash is dead. He's gone. So <clears throat> now the son of Jeroboam, it's Jehoaz? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jehoaz is now the king. And just like his father, he is causing Israel to commit all these sins that they did beforehand. And so, basically, God does these people a solid because, um, hang on, in verse, it's 2 Kings 13 verses 3 through 5, 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of the Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. And Jehoaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, because the king of Syria oppressed them. And the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians and the children of Israel dwelt in their tents as before time. So, you know, God does these people a solid because they've gotten themselves into some trouble. And, you know, he's like, hey, despite the fact that you're doing evil against me, you know, the kings cried out and he's like, you know, God, please, please help us. And so God's like, you know what, um, I'm going to help you out. And so he brings them out of it. And these people go on to do the exact same sin that God tried to bring them out from, and, you know, that got them into their mess in the first place. Which, I feel like, you know, a lot of Christians do this who, like, struggle with sin, where they're like, okay, Lord, please forgive me for me doing this, and I will, like, never do it again. <laughs> Next day, you're, you're back at the bar, <laughs> yes. you're back doing drugs, you're back doing whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just saying for the worst. And so, you know, it's bad because we we plead and beg to God, like, you know, please save me from this, and then we won't put in the work to like keep ourselves from doing that. We, we take we take his yeah. grace for granted. We really yes. do because people are like it's like that mindset where it's like, oh, if I do this and I sin, by the end of the day, if I ask for forgiveness, then it's all okay. Right. But that's not the case. Just in the next two minutes. Just, justification <laughs> for sin is very yeah. dangerous. Like God is yes. like you know, God's not going to be like, you know, you committed all these sins, but yes, for forgiveness, so it's okay. He's going to be like, no, you you took my grace for granted. That's why, you know, the part of salvation, it's you have the repentance and then you have remorse. Remorse is the fact that you're sorry you got caught, you did something wrong. That's the whole, I'm sorry, Jesus, please forgive me. Okay, now go back to doing your daily life. But repentance is you literally have this godly sorrow within you that is telling you, you did this thing wrong, you know you did this thing wrong, and you need to change from that because it's creating this horrible thing in your life. You know, you're going to go to hell for this sin that you've done. And it's not exactly that you're, you know, you can, there's two ways. You can be afraid of hell. That whole part is a huge part of it. The fact that you're going to go to hell for that, but also the fact that you've disappointed slash went against the being who created you. You know, and so he loves you in the fact that he has mercy on you. And so that's the whole thing with that whole salvation. Second right. Kings 13 verse three says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he delivered them into the king, into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and in, into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael all their days. So that is the king that uh, Jehoash gave all the... The mut, or you know, all God's possessions to. So I'm wondering if it's not just that they did evil, but he's like, I'm gonna use my stuff. You gave my stuff away. I'm gonna use that king to kind of punish y'all. <clears throat> and they really have to beg for forgiveness for it. That was a big thing with a lot of the kings way back when, because the people would do evil in the sight of the Lord, and then the Lord would use an enemy king to come against them and destroy them and persecute them and things and then they would have to turn back because they couldn't do it on their own somebody they kind of make peace with too yeah at the same time yeah okay in chapter 13 verse 14 
Elisha is sick, he's going to die, and the king of Israel comes to him and is like weeping and stuff. He's like, oh no, the man of God is going to die. So Elisha's like, all right, take up some bow and arrows. You know, his old, <laughs> thick, weak, frail, you know, he's like, take up some bow and arrows. So he, he takes them and then he's like, all right, shoot. The bow and arrows. The bow. The arrow. Shoot the arrow. You don't shoot the bow. <laughs> the bow. Throw. <laughs> the quiver too. <laughs> so he's like, "All right, shoot the bow." And that arrow represents the deliverance of God. Okay. So then it says it's the deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt in verse seventeen, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek until thou hast consume them and then he said take the arrows verse 18 and he took them and he said unto the king of israel smite upon the ground and he smote thrice and stayed chapter 19 or verse 19 and the man of god was wroth with him and said thou should have smitten five or six times then hast thou smitten syria till thou hast consumed it whereas now you shall smite syria but thrice now if this was me, and I was the ruler slash queen of Israel at this moment, uh, I would be thinking, you know, let's, this is my enemy. If this is going to represent me destroying them, I'd be like, with the bow. Yes. All the way, with, the bow. with bow and arrows, quiver two, and just <laughs> smacking the ground. But over and over. But this king's just like, arrow... Da, 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 done. And I can understand Elisha's anger here. Like, why aren't you more angry at your enemy? Why aren't you, you know, more concerned about destroying your enemy? And that's something that we have to really take heed of because in, in these days and times, the devil is fighting the children you know, God's children, he's fighting him hard. We have to really be prepared. We have to fight. We have to put armor on. And we have to make sure that we are mentally and physically prepared to fight the enemy. And not only that, we have the power of God on our side. So we need to use that and use it to the best of our ability. Uh, I feel like him smiting the ground with the arrows, it could be really taken as... Maybe they're afraid or they have trauma from what Syria did to them because, and not just that, but they know Elisha, you know, not, he wasn't king or anything, but he was definitely a leader to these people mm -hmm. and he's dying. He's no, he knows he's not going to have Elisha there with him. Mm -hmm. So it could have been taken as a sign of fear or any bit of just, you know, I don't know, anxiety within them. Mm -hmm. In chapter 13, verse 20, it says, then Elisha died and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders. And they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man, and when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood to his feet. In my study Bible, it says God still had one more miracle to certify his work through Elisha. And by extension, through Elijah also. A dead man was brought to life because his corpse came in contact with the bones of Elisha. Rather than signaling that Elisha's bones held magical power, this miracle bore testimony to the power and testimony of God that was born through his chosen prophet. You can kind of take that as, you know, when Elijah, he's about to go up to the heavens. He 
gives his anointing pretty much to Elisha. Elisha never really did that. I mean, he kind of gave them this word that the heir would deliver them. But that was pretty much it. So his anointing is still resting upon his, his dead body, his bones. And that anointing is used to raise someone else from the dead. It's That's still there. Crazy. It, doesn't, it doesn't just flow into the dirt gone. Yeah. It's still sitting yeah. there. Um, if you have seen either one of these books, um, you can know that I'm the one who illustrated the pictures in them. So these are our uh, kids' books. I, this is our very first one. It was very fun to work on. Um, this is mainly for, I don't know, what age would you say this is for? Like, like toddlers to like maybe 10-year-olds, depending on. 10-year-olds? 10-year-olds. Like, have you read this book? <laughs> Every page, four different times. I love this book. <laughs> this book is amazing. It's so this is our very first one. It represents a little girl sort of kind of growing up doing different things in the church, within the church, or within church life. And uh, this one, of course, is called The First Family. And this was our second book, our newest kids book. Well, I say newest, but we were, we're working on another one. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be ordered here in a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> so... Um, this one is basically telling a more modernized, uh, story about Adam and Eve, um, and just kind of showing what a true godly family is supposed to look like. Um, you know, man, woman, children, that's what a family is supposed to look like with God bringing them all together and yeah so that's that one, it that one would be like a great one to use in like a sunday school class yes. it's very important to get these kids learning about this at a young age too it's like you know it has nice visuals and it just gets straight to the point like oh, yeah adam and eve thank you guys so much for watching this podcast we hope that you enjoyed it and we hope you'll get used to our beautiful faces since we'll be here for a while <laughs> yep Thank you guys so much for watching. We ask that you please share, like, comment, do all the things, and um, we hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for joining Anthony Wynn Ministries. If you'd like to see more, join us for our Miracle Night Prayer Service. Miracle Night happens every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we join together in prayer and watch God move. If you'd like to participate in Miracle Night or join us for our other projects, You can follow us at Oasis Ministries on Facebook or follow us at Anthony Wynn on YouTube. We also want to say a special thank you to our partners of Anthony Wynn Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to give free ministry material to those in need. If you aren't already a partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a partner through our website at anthonywynn.org or calling 1-877- 226-4088. And lastly, if you ever need prayer, please call us at 1-877-226-4088 or go to our website at anthonywin.org. Thank you and God bless.